0: This is the DLR cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. (laughs) All right, everybody, like the proverbial lightning bolt in your Cheerios, here we are. We are back, the DLR cast, by and for fans of David Lee Roth. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, the Dynamite Kid himself, (laughs) dangerous Darren Paltrowitz. Darren, how are you? It's been a while, my friend. We are back.
1: It's been a while. Was that Dynamite Kid an old school wrestling reference or just a coincidence?
0: No, it was a wrestling reference. Uh, I went to start with Dynamite, but it got another syllable in there and Kid popped out. But I, I'm pretty sure you would know this as much of a wrestling fan as you are. I'm pretty sure he was a wrestler or is on uh, some circuit.
1: Yeah, kind of a disgraced wrestler, um, like a legendary. But once you learn about what they did when they weren't wrestling, one of those. not.
0: Great gotcha. Ones. Gotcha.
1: You know, uh, sometimes the genius of the artist, not talking about Dave here, but uh, sometimes the genius of the artist, you can forgive the indiscretions outside the ring, but uh, not in all cases. (laughs) But that aside, I'm fine. Are you fine?
0: I am. I am good. Uh, I'm excellent, as a matter of fact. And although a wee bit frustrated as here we are a David Lee Roth podcast. And, well, let's face it, there has not been a whole lot of new news that we haven't covered on the David Lee Roth front. We'll talk about this because it was it came up, and it, Michael Anthony was interviewed on a very cool rock podcast uh, last week or so, I believe, but three week, two or three weeks prior to before that, the news broke about a possible tribute tour, and we threw out a bunch of prognostate, prognostate, pre- projections questions
1: (laughs) prognosis tastic there
0: you there you go prognosticated some answers in the last episode at least as we thought uh but this time michael anthony really talked i sort of in depth about it but that interview didn't really break much new news that we didn't already have and it didn't answer any of the questions that i still have out there one when did all these conversations with irving azoff david lee roth um alex van halen take place two and and michael anthony i should say two uh, did somebody forget to call wolfie three how about did they forget sammy hagar's number and four did it take place this year or last year because dave of course since announced a retirement when the when the aborted uh show then the las vegas shows didn't happen
1: I thought that they said, Michael Anthony said a year ago that he had the call with Azov, but then that, that leads to the question of why were they talking to Jason Newstead if Michael Anthony, did Michael Anthony himself sounded puzzled when he said that?
0: Yeah, because <laughs> I, <laughs> you don't have to know much if you if you, you don't know much if you don't know that Michael Anthony uh, plays bass guitar, was the bassist in Van Halen, for God's sakes.
1: Yeah, I, it's such a head scratcher on a few levels. <laughs> uh, I thought I did hear that Sammy was part of it in some level, but what does that even mean at this point in time?
0: And did Sammy even weigh in at all on this thing? have you done a search for quotes? I've been looking for things. I mean certainly, as we know and this is not a hit at all, but yeah, Sammy has never shied away from a microphone that's within a 25 foot radius if somebody's asking him about Van Halen or his involvement or just asking about him in general. And again, that's not a hit. That's just kind of the truth. I mean, we go about three or four weeks between episodes and odds are good. Something about Sammy will show up or Dave will show up. And and uh, yeah. most likely it's going to be Sammy first, especially with the circle going out on tour. And I mean, just five days ago, Ultimate Classic Rock ran a piece, Rock Feuds, David Lee Roth versus Sammy Hagar. I mean, yeah. so why? So another, basically, that's a long yet another Steve wrong-winded question here. I'm getting like Tucker Carlson, uh, I suppose. Many people are saying, but <laughs> um, I, I'm just asking a question, Darren. And that is, uh, you know, was Sammy even part of this? Because even Michael didn't even bring it up. He did say, oh yeah, we called Sammy as well.
1: Right. Well, there's so many questions. We didn't even talk about this. Were, were you paying attention to any Roths vegas era band members instagrams over the last three four weeks
0: Oh uh, well we just had well he wasn't a vegas band member we just had as a uh interview our last episode had and now i'm spacing forgive me but had uh uh who played played with dave fill me in on the name he played with dave right before uh before yeah. the vegas shows on the James kiss tour oh. right thank you
1: very much singer. He's he's kind of a fill-in for Red Beach on a bunch of winger shows, and he pops up in a lot of stuff. But uh, without naming names here, uh, well, I'll name one of our great listeners, Carlo Perazzo He basically texted me on a or, or DM me on a Sunday morning. He's like, "Hey, look at the Instagram accounts of this member and this member." And, and you're like, "Okay, this better be important because no one bothers Darren before ten a.m. ever." <laughs> uh, um, and I looked, and a couple of Dave's members uh, were tagged at Henson Studios. They had instruments, and it's people who were in the band at the same time. And at first, you go, "Okay, you know, maybe somebody was recording there." And then Estrada had a road case that said David Lee Roth in the background and he was at Henson. Okay. Last
0: time I saw his Instagram was clearly about, I'd say about four or five weeks ago when I was cruising through Jake's, a whole bunch of other people. And nobody had really posted too much stuff. Al hadn't posted in ages.
1: Yeah. So a couple of people who've played with Dave, we can't say what they were doing, but a couple of people played with Dave were tagged at Henson and who tagged them. Them did the post. So they all posted. They were at, They all posted to kind of show off equipment endorsements or, hey, I'm in the studio, not, hey, I'm recording with you know who, but it's, I'm at Henson Studios. And let's face it, nobody records at Henson for free. That's not one of those.
0: Exactly. You don't get together there to just jam.
1: Yeah. You don't get together there to just jam. And you or I cannot afford Henson Studios. (laughs) Yeah. And a certain person that we podcast about only records at Henson Studios. Right. So what the hell is going on there? How do you retire? And then now what's <laughs> later your band is at Henson Studios. I.
0: Well, I also I think you can I think you can rehearse at Henson Studios. They have a soundstage in there of some sort.
1: I'm, I'm sure they do. Wasn't Henson originally A&M?
0: I believe it was. Yeah.
1: And wasn't that where Dave did his rehearsal shows for the original Vegas run did you ever see the video uh it was from 2019 originally like people posted a couple of minutes of them doing like a dress rehearsal and then that kind of got wiped and then it was down to like a 15 second clip of them rehearsing no okay well long story short here before they did the first Vegas show the in 2019 they did a public dress rehearsal for, you know, friends and family. Cause that's something Van Halen always did at least the last few tours that they did the felt, uh, they did the LA forum. They would have friends and family show like 200 people in an arena. Right. Let's go over the show. Roth has been known to do that for some kinds of stuff. Like it's better to perform in front of some people than no people. So he's a studio rehearsal kind of guy. Right. So, He had that for this Henshin show, and it turns out he fired half that band (laughs) that did that show, and then the band changed again. So what I'm getting at is we don't know, is he recording? Is this a rehearsal? Is he going over old tapes and archiving and recording stuff? Is there another DLR project like the, the comic book? What's going on?
0: Yeah, which you just reminded me too. Where are the rest of the songs from the long lost album recorded with John Five?
1: Yeah, which somebody told me they, somebody, I don't know if I said this on the air, but somebody who knew a lot of stuff said there isn't a John Five album. There's just a bunch of songs that were recorded in different sessions in like short, like five days here, 10 days here. And Enough
0: songs so, he, to, to make an album.
1: Yeah, um, they thought that there are, but it's not an album. And I don't know if John 5 misspoke, or he just has a bunch of songs and felt like he recorded enough that there is an album.
0: Maybe at one point, maybe there would be an album.
1: Yeah, yeah it's also not clear if these were songs that were done in 2009, 2012, because the the more I dig on all this, you know how we were talking about this um this video before the first Vegas show with that whole Vegas baby uh, thing that he yells and he right. says he lives in Japan for two years. Two other people I've spoken with have said that he was in Japan for six months.
0: There's some shades of gray there. Let's call it a year and a half and just part as friends. Okay. So <laughs> I've got a couple other things for you on, on this note. And we, Dave was in the news uh Dave, I'll get to that in a minute. Dave was in the news recently, a week or so ago, thanks to an interview, not by him, but a couple things. One thing that I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode or not. Rec- that was, you know, we put that out about two weeks ago, recorded before yeah. this interview with Michael Anthony on um on Mitch Lafon Jeremy or Jeremy White's podcast with Mitch LaFon. I'm spacing mm-hmm. the name again. But um, and that is I brought Mike and I remember thinking about this, and that is. And and Michael brought this up that he said, basically, paraphrasing barely here, that Alex was still in mourning. So, yeah. I mean, that it, it, obviously that's no surprise. It's totally understood. So that could yeah. be one reason why this thing didn't come off at all. But I'm still perplexed at the fact that that where the Jason Neustad thing came up. Ooh, you know, why Sammy wasn't mentioned more or as part of this, like there's no way a tribute tour should go on or would go on without both of those guys. Any sort of tribute show, it, it, you have to have both. If you if it's going to be a career spanning tribute to this, mm-hmm. you know, monstrous genius of a guitar player, it's, it has to be, it has to be a career spanning thing, right? It's got to have, it's got to have Dave and Sammy because there's such great music for
1: both. The only us. thought that I have that goes against that is there was a tour a year or two before COVID, the Experience Hendrix tour, which wasn't too different than the G3 tours. We saw with John Petrucci and other virtuoso guitarists where it didn't fully matter who was in the band. It's just say they- that they said, well, we're going to play the best of this person and we're going to have some stars coming in and out. And it's not like Nuno was on stage for 15 songs. It's just like he does two or three and gets off.
0: Okay. In theory, I like that idea. And I like where Dave was going that you have, you should have other people on there. I kind of dig that idea. Oh, yeah, uh, especially if what I believe, if anything happens at all, it's going to be a one off big tribute show for ch- hopefully for a cancer charity. That's just my own personal wish and hunch. And that's why I think otherwise I don't think you see 30 dates of a tribute tour like that experience Hendrick or uh, what Dweezil Zappa's is doing. Yeah. But here's the thing. The difference with that, with Hendrix and all that is that, well, with Hendrix, nobody's living. So that's a 30, true like yeah. cover band tribute thing. Uh, the Zappa thing i guess is a little bit is different because are, are those guys were any of those guys still in, were in zappa's band back in the day or is it Dweezil, who's a monstrous musician himself with a, a carefully selected group of unbelievable professionals to play zappa's craziness in 6 eighths marimba time or whatever it is
1: yeah that That's what that is, although yeah, so there, it's a separate Zappa tour that just got announced last week that's kind of like later era Zappa people. I think it's called the Zappa tour or the Zappa family, and I'm just waiting for the cease and desist to go out on that one. Well,
0: not to get off too far on a sidetrack, but I know Zappa, uh, Dweezil, I've read all sorts of that, Dweezil and the rest of the family, or I think with the mom, uh, with with the widow zappa have been in all sorts of oh, legal yeah. imbroglio right i mean it's just been really a mess i do know i have a friend of mine who did go see who's a huge zappa fan and went to go see it and he was reminded two things one that that music is well i don't think he was he's just a big fan but that if anybody could ever pull this off it's besides steve Vai, is dweezil zappa and I said the, sh- the show was just incredible it was just amazing so there's a plug for for uh, dweezil does zappa Um, a couple other things, David Lee Roth related, of course, one, he has not had a social media post since March 10th. After all that activity with the artwork, (laughs) the occasional single, the weird cryptic things, the, that weird, bizarre, like where you seriously wonder, did the meds fall off bit about the striped guitar? Come on, man. That's just, you hate it when your heroes bring, give you truly genuine, courage, worthy, if I was a huge fanboy, I can't even defend this shit. Shit. That's still, I, we,
1: yeah. All
0: that words over that one.
1: I'm with you there. And uh, one of the great listeners to our, to our show, of our show, whatever the correct uh, prepositional phrase is, uh, Steve Harold, because of him, there's so many great archive Dave interviews on YouTube. And the more you listen to those, or, Rather, the more I listen to those, (laughs) the more you see that Dave has kind of been contradicting himself since the 80s or 90s. Like if you listen to an interview in like 88, he has a different take on why Billy Sheehan in the lineup of the band has changed than he does in 91. And then in 94, he has a totally different take that maybe goes back to the 88 one. (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunately, it turns out that the, the Frankenstein thing maybe is nothing new about uh how things have changed over time
0: i suppose and and just to give credit where credit is due that podcast michael anthony was on uh is called the mitch Lafont and jeremy white show check it out it's actually a really cool interview Uh, a little bit too much on the barbecue sauce bit but some real interesting tidbits about uh he talks about recording uh me wise magic which mm-hmm. is interesting and what i think a lot of people know that dave had some trouble with those vocals there and uh, the, those guys asked some really good questions it was a really super interesting interview even if that one that bit about the really the the tribute tour there wasn't anything we didn't possibly already know or probably could have guessed i guess but it was good to it was good that finally someone that mike lanthony talked about this at least
1: The one spot where they lost me in that interview was when they let Michael Anthony basically say, oh, this new album with Sammy is the best thing we've ever done. And you go, oh, stop it.
0: (laughs) I don't. uh, You know, what drives me nuts a little bit is that I wish. Well, I know they worked with a country producer and I think it's mostly original songs, but. I and I'm curious about that. I actually I was listening to the Sammy Unboxed CD today uh, as a matter of fact earlier today which I think was like that was a kind of a greatest hits for contract fulfillment I think. Yes, <laughs> back, right? If I am I correct really to, with his Geffen deal when he right when he joined Van Halen he still owed a uh, greatest hits I think after that. Um but you've got Michael Anthony, you've got Sammy Hagar w- chicken foot two great albums the second one's amazing why this never happened again if he's and i remember a couple of years ago is because i guess michael uh sammy wasn't really wasn't really into it didn't feel creative enough about it and recording an album was just i mean a real difficult thing to do this is pre-covid of course
1: you I, I can't get everybody in the studio and the whole bit i don't think that's what it was a chicken foot what i remember is that at the beginning chad smith was the drummer and then the Chili Peppers got busy, so then it was Kenny.
0: Oh, yeah, they got Kenny Aronoff, yeah, which is which is great, which is fine. But, I mean, as far as them putting together a new album, I mean, from wow. reading the interviews, I think maybe it was, it was with Sammy and Joe, but it just sounded like it was the most Herculean task ever to, <laughs> to, to, to get songs together, to get everybody together in the studio and do all this stuff, to which I... Think, well, I wish you made a bigger effort because I would have loved to have heard another Chicken Foot record. I mean, you you got half the band already. Yeah. Satriani, I know Satriani, wouldn't he make the time for it? We're going way off on a non-Dave tangent. One other thing Dave related here, and that <laughs> is, uh, folks, segue time before we get into this week's interview, which is awesome. So one other piece of news <laughs> that was in the news recently. Uh, Mother's Day, Wolfgang and his mom, Valerie Bertinelli, were on a um, uh, the an episode of wolf wolf top of the pack on sirius sirius xm's classic rewind and right. so it was a very uh it was a very candid conversation and they talked a bit about uh the fact that valerie thought uh led zeppelin's dazed and confused was actually called dave and confused for david lee Roth's quote lead singer disease interesting <laughs> and um uh, Valerie told Wolfgang, I, for the longest time, thought the name of the song was Dave and, Conf- Dave and Confused because when I first would watch the shenanigans that happened, I was new to watching a band how they worked with each other. So I would watch what would happen and I would notice when your dad had a saying called LSD. He called it LSD when Dave on his, quote, went on his, quote, little LSD rant, which is short for lead singer disease. And then you see the crew kind of get scared and do everything and was like, LSD, it's Dave and Confused time. Wow. <laughs> And you just hear when someone goes and says hums opening notes of Days and Confused, just walking down the hall. (laughs) Jesus. And oh, my goodness. And we're like, oh, God, okay, we have to be careful. We'd start walking on eggshells. I always thought it was called Dave and Confused until I. Oh, wow. Oh, it's Dave and Confused. I get it. And Wolfgang said, yeah, I'm familiar with that, too. I was in the band. I was I was in the band. I remember right before the first. In 2015, Dave fired the video director because he wouldn't film his feet well enough. Dave and confused, so some dirt being dished on Dave, and this was back on. I this popped up on Blabbermouth on May 6th, and I barely got even a bit of a notice because all this other stuff about a tribute I mean, tour right. kind of re, has been resurfacing last week, barely last week, and and a few weeks before that. So it's a maelstrom of. Malarkey, all of it.
1: I don't know. And Ingve J. Malmström. Well, if if I compile dog pile with the (laughs) concept a little bit, um, about a year and change ago, I was promised an interview with Wolfgang, and then. They asked for a little more information. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, he's going to be available at this point in time." I'm like, great, this is going to be awesome. And then they pried a little bit more. I said, "Well, going to use it on the DLR cast and going to and like ah, uh, he's not available. Something happened with him and Dave where they're a little gun shy. Hence why he would not be on the short list of bassists for that tour. Hence why he's not making a special appearance. Well,
0: I." I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that, I mean, Michael did address Wolfgang not being in it. He said, listen, he's doing his own thing. Yeah. And, um, he's, he was doing his own, he's doing his own thing now, his own music, which that's, which is awesome. And I, and he did bring it up a couple of weeks ago. If I remember correctly, that the whole thing was just ridiculous. Right. I mean, right after we, somewhere about three weeks ago it was right after our last interview. I think I remember, um, I remember that something came up where he tweeted a couple of things about it, just kind of thought the whole idea was ridiculous.
1: To to me, the only artist I can think of, the only classic artist who refused to play their classic catalog and stuck with it forever is Richie Blackmore. Everyone else eventually came around. And I think Wolfgang... The next tour, he does one or two Van Halen songs. And I don't know if that five, it's happening. I
0: don't think it happens. And I can tell you, you know what? I hope it doesn't. I want to I love the fact, I kind of like this. You know, he's a great follow on social media because- enough morons try to, uh, will try to poke him on stuff. And then he is I mean, he's as good as a comic sometimes with, with handling hecklers, at least on social media. I mean, because there are some real idiots out there and a lot of them are just trying to get attention. But also, I mean, in social media, you can hide behind a fake profile and say something really stupid about Wolfgang and his dad. And it, it, so he does not suffer fools gladly. And I think I, I think he's so... He's so talented. One, he doesn't need to ever play a Van Halen song. And if he ever wants to play a Van Halen song, he could do it on his own whenever he wants to.
1: I'm going to respectfully disagree (laughs) on the Dave Grohl principle, which is that the Foo Fighters uh, would occasionally encore what Smells Like Teen Spirit. And Dave Grohl looked at it as being a therapeutic thing for him. He said, I'll never sing or play guitar on it, but... Playing drums on it makes me remember Kurt and the experience of all that. I think that Wolfgang or any person grieving eventually thinks, how can I pay tribute to somebody important that I lost? And that might be it.
0: I suppose time it's, will it's, tell
1: it's like teen spirit principle,
0: just time will tell. I, it just strikes me as Wolfgang, could, I think, might take. Oh, and this is just me completely projecting and guessing based on just how great he is at social media and just how he really, how he, listen, he values, nobody values his, that legacy more than he does. I don't, I don't think, you know, and I think that's, that's because it is his dad. And I think that's why you might never hear him play a Van Halen song in public. And also I think that's why him sticking to that will bring him a lot of enjoyment. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like, there, is there satisfaction in not giving some, what some people rightly or wrongly want
1: but he's only what 31 32.
0: true he's got plenty of time to to yeah. think to make those the those decisions
1: trolling phase 2 will will look different than trolling phase 1 and i think that it's a really long list of people said uh, i'll never do blank again like Mick Jagger saying that he didn't plan on playing satisfaction when he turned 30. <laughs> yeah. True. I just uh think that there's always a price or a reason for artists digging into things that they said that they'd never do again. And you know, Oasis says they'll never reunite uh give it 4 years.
0: Hey, just Chris and Rich Ro- Chris and Rich Robinson were never going to re- reunite either.
1: Never. Never. Hey,
0: wait, Van Halen <laughs> was never going to, I mean when hell freezes over, oh wait, that's the Eagles. But yeah, I mean, who listen?
1: Back Excellent in- slash. They'll never reunite and etc. I mean, I, I, that's why I really don't put any word on this. I, I think that there'll be a time when the Van Halen people overseeing the catalog and the camp see the diminished uh, sales and licensing, and at a certain point realize, "Ooh, we got to breathe some light life into this well, and they'll,
0: they'll only see diminished sales if they don't do anything with a catalog of which they don't do a damn thing besides what the remaster reissues
1: yeah they they only do that they don't push for sync licensing for tv and film um
0: which i'm fine with i'm saying expanded editions if there's material that could be called to put together for it i don't know
1: i think um, that box will- sets and- I'm finding out more and more things that Dave turned down, which are so bizarre. Did you ever hear of the rumor, which no one has denied, that he turned down Just Like Paradise for being the theme of Beverly Hills 90210?
0: Yes, I did hear that. Yes.
1: Okay. People, a lot of people know that that's on the Wikipedia. But did you know that he turned down Slam Dunk for being in the movie Armageddon? No. Yeah, John Kollabner specifically wanted Slam Dunk an Armageddon and he said no. And that movie was what, 98, 99?
0: And a massive worldwide hit.
1: Massive worldwide hit and you you'd go like, "Why would you say no to that?"
0: All you know what all it takes is for some some Marvel universe movie a, a good music music director like i'll give you an example i was flabbergasted watching um what was the movie with uh, with uh adam sandler and like chris rock all those guys they went to a cat you know grown-ups grown-ups okay there's yeah. a scene on the water slide they're all going down the water slide and what plays just got back by cheap trick which is yeah. the second cut on their george Martin produced 1980 album all shook up nobody thinks i mean i was like i don't remember the guy's name but i was waiting till the end credits my son is like seven or whatever dad let's go i'm like i need to see the name of this music the sync the the music producer the music director who, who put this together i mean yeah So in other words, I would love to see you know, there's some scene in like Avengers 14 where a guy finds an old cassette and puts, Oh wait, we've seen that Marvel movie, but you know (laughs) what I mean? Where it's a mix of like, well, what's that? Oh, it was this guy, David Lee Roth. And this is, you know what I or Whatever. Just playing in the background. Everybody goes, what the hell? And then you instantly have your phone you could check it out. And you're like, you gotta be kidding me. That's damn, that's damn good from the David Lee Roth skyscraper album.
1: Imagine that in a movie. Oh, speaking of damn good. Uh, do you know the show on stars called Power?
0: I've heard of it. I don't have stars, but huge, I
1: have heard of it. huge show. In it's kind of like if you watch it, you watch every episode and every spinoff. And if you've never heard of it, you go, "Oh, is that the one that Fifty Cent executive produces?" I've never. Yeah, I don't know. So we have a listener to the show who was sending me uh, messages over the weekend, and he goes, uh, "The lead actor Joseph Sikora." I think that's how you say his name I've interviewed him, I, I only said Joseph I didn't say Sakura. Uh, he posted That he was listening to Loco Del Calor From Sonrisa Salvaje Over the weekend <laughs> And a day or two before that on social media He posted a lyric From um, uh, What song were we just talking about From, from Damn Good
0: Oh Damn Good and like, Skyscraper Yeah That guy <laughs>
1: These DLR fans are everywhere, and Joseph Sakura has a production company. You know, he's producing. He's not just starring in his shows. So never say never unless Dave is just going to turn it down like Armageddon.
0: You just reminded me, was it an old Monk's book where he told the story that Dave turning down a Mar- Marlboro cigarette sponsorship?
1: You know, I didn't get to that, but somebody I was speaking to a week or so ago who knew No Monk told me a lot of that book is not true.
0: I don't even. Uh, Sorry, Steve. No, I mean, can you can you trust the
1: person who told you that? (laughs) Hundred percent.
0: Wow. Okay. We always have some good conversations offline. That's called a tease, ladies and gentlemen. So let's tease this week's interview.
1: Sure. Uh, Which which one from the batch are we are we unearthing for this episode?
0: Uh, a, a certain su- uh, a certain Hawaiian and Samoan sumo wrestler that Dave befriended?
1: Yes, that would be Mr. Konashiki. Ah. Uh, Konashiki, if you live in Japan, you know who he is because he moved there in the early 80s from Hawaii. He's Samoan Hawaiian, and I th- he was one of the first foreign sumo champions or at least like division leaders. And... I guess when you're successful enough in Japan, you can parlay that into commercials and movie appearances. Like he's in Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. But I would say he's in an even better movie called uh, Tokyo Story. Mm. You, you've you seen Tokyo Story, haven't you, Steve?
0: Yeah, I, indeed I have, as a matter of fact. I, some, some would call it an art film. Some would call it uh, something else.
1: Uh, what would you say is your favorite part of, of Tokyo Story? <laughs>
0: Oh, there's just so much.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, so so Konoshiki um was Dave's good buddy for the time that they hung out in Japan. And Dave specifically put him in the movie. And if you dig a little bit on YouTube, you see Konoshiki and Dave at a sumo match just hanging out. Konoshiki had retired a long time ago, but he's very active in the sumo world still in terms of um if you see a u.s tour where they bring sumo over to the states he probably did right.
0: got it and you know tokyo story is actually a 1950 is also the name of a 1953 japanese drama film directed by two people i'm not going to uh and and starring two <laughs> other people i'm not going to try to pronounce the names uh came out in, in 1953 Um, but yeah, that's another, just a little weird left turn that Dave took part of the six months to two years living in Japan, (laughs) ostensibly because he fell in love with someone in Japan. We're not exactly sure if we're going to get to the bottom of that one, folks, but if you haven't seen Tokyo's story, you really need to, that was just one of those uh, yet another head scratcher ones for me with Dave, but it's a, certainly it's a very cool interview. I was, um, yet again, add, add sumo to the lengthy list of things that Dave knows awful lot amount more so than any five foot eight jewish american former lead singer for one of the world's greatest rock bands of all time should know and kanishi uh, uh konashiki will tell you uh about it in this interview
1: yeah i'll admit it's not a dave centric interview it's more like shoehorning a couple of questions sure in the, in there i i it's want dave to- adjacent yeah it's in the dave universe that the, the Daveverse, uh, the Rothiverse. Uh, I, I don't know, what we call the, the Dave adjacent, Dave Jason, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know.
0: A galaxy Roth.
1: <laughs> and um, I'm still working on clearing our ability to use an interview taped with three of the people who worked on Tokyo Story. So consider this a teaser to something i'm hoping that we can use for this podcast in the very near future
0: and isn't it about it's about how many minutes long Konoshiki? no that- the, the movie the tokyo story movie that dave did
1: oh 15 12 to 15 okay
0: minutes. that's one where i would not be surprised if you tell me there was two and a half hours of film no one we no one, what we know from from no holds barbecue there's two and a half hours of film that was edited down to 13 and a half minutes
1: yeah um God, who told i don't know if it was the filmmaker somebody told me that Tokyo's story was shot in a day there was no script there was no treatment <laughs> like no holds barbecue <laughs> uh i i think maybe one episode we're just going to have to do a watch along on no holds barbecue
0: <laughs> yeah well, that you know oh my god we could leave like the dvd like commentary
1: yeah yeah um i don't know i the, the more I think about it, you know, Dave really has taken three stabs at the cinematic universe. And the first would be Crazy from the Heat, which we had an episode on a while ago. A big whiff. Which, yeah. Um, then he had No Holds Barbecue. And then he had this Tokyo Story movie. And what they all have in common is lack of structure. But uh, they're all colorful, cultural tales.
0: I... I like the idea that in Dave's mind, there's a, a structure there. It's just on a different level. That you ever see the movie *Defending Your Life*?
1: Oh, with Albert Brooks. Good. Albert,
0: yes, Albert Brooks and Rip Torn. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, right? But Rip, there's that bit where the Rip Torn goes, he goes, "You, you, you, you Earthlings only use three and a half percent of your brain. Guess how much? Guess how much of the brain I'm using?" Now Brooks like, I don't know. He's like. Seventeen and a half percent, or whatever you know what I mean. It's like we're, they're operating on just a different plane, a different level, you know?
1: Yeah. So I, I'd say if we can, you know, concisely summarize what we have learned and discussed in this episode, uh, we don't know anything concrete about this tribute tour. That you agree about that? Oh, correct. Yeah. Just I reverse?
0: mean, it's it's barely not even paper mache at this
1: point. Uh, so we don't know anything about that. There's been no social media. Official comment from Dave, aside from his addressing stuff in Van Halen News Desk two and a half months ago. So nothing that no new appearances in 2022 like that. Anyone could physically see him.
0: Right. And yet somehow we turn this all into an ever growingly popular podcast. Go figure. We're like magicians.
1: But he may or may not have been in Henson Studios recording. Right. (laughs) We still don't know if he's retired tired or not true true that we we still don't know if the john five album is an album
0: exactly we don't know what his health is like there hasn't been a photo in a year or seven eight months yeah so one thing on the henson studios i just thought of remember this is a guy who reportedly spent two hundred thousand dollars to record a very special version of ice cream man with a with a cast of all stars that never got the light of day for years until it came out on some independently released little covers record
1: I asked another person about Ice Cream Man. I've asked two people about it. Uh, first, I asked uh, Tracy Is it Tracy Wormsworth. Her brother was Conan's fill-in drummer, James Wordsworth. It's like Woodsworth or Wordsworth. The, they used to call him the Worm. And when when Max Weinberg was on tour with uh, Springsteen, uh, the worm would fill in. And this is his sister, who's a bass player. She had no memories of these recording sessions. And she played on Ice Cream Man with Omar Akeem. That's the first one. second one. <laughs> and <interview laughs> we might use on this Edgar Winter. He was not part of the DLR Vegas band. I asked him. So my knowledge has decreased. The
0: original DLR Vegas band.
1: The one that's credited with playing on, on. tracks that we hear in the background of different things on the DLR show. We still have no idea who the DLR Vegas band is.
0: Right. and Edgar Winter was supposedly on ice cream on that recording ice cream Band, correct with Greg Philiganines and Omar Hakim, all those guys.
1: Yeah. He had no <sighs> recollection of what it was. So I I, I don't know. but <laughs> put that on the Roth Mysteries list continued.
0: Yeah, it's a lengthy list.
1: <laughs> but uh thanks to anyone who can make it through 37-ish minutes <laughs> about aboutashiki and tokyo story and uh tribute tours
0: A bizarre barely circular <laughs> it looks like a rorschach painting logic puzzle or something
1: he, he drives us crazy and we love him for it uh,
0: and indeed we do always good fun it's I love this sort of stuff because you just never, it's completely unpredictable. You just don't know. And you can, you could spend hours of which we do speculating and no scenario might be too crazy. Were you like just, I was just, just going to mention that's the thing on the Henson thing. He could just be recording something. on. He could have maybe recorded something on a whim.
1: Right. He, like uh, the thing that he did um, with Scotty Emmerich, he just felt like recording. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I wake up one morning, I got a nurse to do a Louis Louie Prima record. Call everybody up.
1: Yeah, I, I had a, a theory that he should have an a Chris Gaines like alias for any time he wants to do an intellectually stimulated highbrow thing. Oh God, no. (laughs) He he should be like Dr. Roth or like Dr. Dave. And then anytime he gives us the album that he wants, it should be under the name David Lee Roth. If he could just make that big distinction, that way we know, you know, if it's going to be a DLR project comic book or if it's going to be like giddy up where we go, okay, we like that.
0: (laughs) You know, I just thought of something. I'm pretty sure he didn't graduate from Pasadena Community College, right?
1: Um, I don't think he did. No.
0: So it is far past time for him to receive an honorary associate's degree.
1: Are you saying that we start a petition? For I him? think
0: Do- Are am I saying that I think some one of our fans who follows us on Twitter or 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 loves a podcast should start a petition, an online petition? Absolutely.
1: Oh, that's that's Carlo's job, Carlo. We're looking at you.
0: <laughs> am I saying someone? Am I saying someone should start a website, diamonddavedoctorate.com?
1: Triple D. Diamond. I might I might be. <laughs> well, I mean, he can't be the only, uh, he would be the second Dr. Roth after Dr. Nathan Roth, a uh, famous ophthalmologist that bought the Pasadena mansion, but you're third, right.
0: Third, actually, you know, we got, uh, not to go way too far <laughs> off here, but I can't believe I neglected to mention this when we were having a discussion of whether or not yours truly is or is not, is you or is you isn't, related to Diamond Dave. And I forgot to mention this. Uh, surprisingly, but my dad was also an ophthalmologist. He worked in the University of California system in Sacramento and Davis, but he knew Dr. Nathan Roth, also an ophthalmologist. And my dad and I really weren't that close. So I would find out years after the fact that, oh yeah, well, you know, Nate called us and wanted us to come to Vegas and see and see Dave when he was doing uh, back in the, you know, in the nineties, or we used to, I used to occasionally get odd fan mail because someone would track my dad and totally different first name but they would go dr roth ophthalmologist if you don't know the first name california and my dad might get someone's panties in the mail
1: (laughs) so the third dr roth that's what we're learning here there you go wow well weird huh work to do or one of our listeners has homework to do
0: all right on that
1: note (laughs) we're out <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for tolerating. Thank you, Steve, for, for making the magical banter happen.
0: Working hard, my friend. Working hard. Take care.
1: Hey, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Hey, thank you for taking the time. Uh how's your morning going? I just got off a conference call. You know, so sorry about the late. No, thank you for doing this. It's really a pleasure.
2: My son. My son, <laughs> That's your son. Um, my well, crazy four-month son. <laughs> uh, are,
1: are you still in uh, Tokyo full-time these days, or do you go back and forth between yeah. Tokyo and Hawaii?
2: Uh, pretty much uh, stabilized in Tokyo for, the what, 40 years now, you know? And uh, after my my dad passed, passed two years ago, kind of uh, played low-key, not traveling as much as I... Well, it kind of hit the pandemic at the same time, so yeah it gave us an excuse not to go home much you know yeah,
1: you've been yeah. in Japan longer than you've been anywhere else, so you're a local you're I, a native at this
2: point well i feel I feel Japanese more than anything else now because of I dream japanese i I speak the language more than any other languages because of speaking Japanese kind of forgot how to speak a lot of Samoan languages I used to speak. Now it's going to be worse because uh, my dad is gone because I used to speak Samoan to my dad a lot. So Hmm. it's all good, you know? How long was it
1: in living in Japan? How many years did you live in Japan before your Japanese became great and acceptable and it became spoken more than English?
2: Well, um, I think after my second year in sumo, yeah because well I didn't have a choice everything was 24/7 Japanese and um, and at the beginning of my career in sumo in the sumo world when you're when you're at the beginning of your career you're like you're a dirt bike, you do everything and you you don't have to learn the language it's the only word you should understand you, you just have to listen and say the word hype 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 it's like yes sir it's 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 more it's worse than the military you don't have a you don't you don't have a, a opportunity to comment or or to have your uh what you have you have no way to answer back everything is height it doesn't matter wrong or white if it says if something's black and it's white and he says it's black it's black right that kind of situation that kind of military like situation sumo and at least uh, military you get to go back to your bunk or whatever room you have but in sumo you live in this you live in a life 24 7 so anybody can get you up at three o'clock in the morning, hey go grab me a soda man right and kick you out of bed you know and so so you had to learn it fast you know uh, one of my experiences that the reason why I had to learn it fast is because I remember I think it was only my third month in sumo and my bosses my bosses took me out to Ginza which is a very famous drinking place where you sit down it's like a thousand dollars some of their sponsors, we went out, and I was still, what, um, 18, and you know, it came in June, 40 years ago. But yeah, so, and then he just wanted me to be part of, you know, I guess, showing me off to the new, to the new boy in town with sponsors, you know, he's right. promising and all that shit, you know, before I even know what they're talking about. And I went to the bar, and then, you know, we got the hostess, all these beautiful girls and ladies in the bar, He set me down for an hour, then he sent me home in a taxi. I remember he giving me 10,000 yen, and I kind of knew Ginza, where this place is, to where I live uh, during that, those days, Asakusabashi, a place called Asak I know just by riding the taxi wasn't far away. Right. But because I was a foreigner, I couldn't speak any Japanese. When I got into the taxi, I think the boss told the taxi where to take me. But the taxi purposely made it like it was a mistake. It took me like a for a ride. And it was supposed to cost maybe, you know, somewhere between 2,000 yen and less than 3,000 yen. But ended up costing like 8,000 yen. So I was pissed off because I could have kept the change, right? Right. Of, of 10,000 yen. Right. And this guy, this taxi ripped me off. So ever since then, I made That's it. Hilarious. I made it. I made it a purpose to like learn how to say left right straight under the under the train track like masu you know all these words I, I if I could speak proper Japanese I was learning all these words so i don't get ripped off again so you know that's where the language came in from and then you know picking it up slowly by saying the wrong thing getting slapped in the head by another older elder or stuff that's the wrong word to use and stuff so that's the only way I think I pick up the language. And then I started singing karaoke too, so. Well, yeah, music
1: is an area you found success in. You're not just this renowned sumo champion that's forever in the the history books. You've made albums. You've been on other people's albums. You've got the charitable foundation. You found success as an actor, as a TV host. It's this great multifaceted entertainment career. And I was wondering Mm. if you knew from the beginning that you wanted to do all that,
2: or is it just a happy accident? To be honest with you, it's just a happy accident. But the talent itself, uh, I grew up in in music, you know, church and youth clubs. And and as a grade school, between uh, grades third and high school, I was always a performer, Mm -hmm. performing in the Polynesian groups and stuff. So I always danced. I I led a Polynesian group to contests as a leader in high school. I chanted Hawaiian chant music. I, I sang. And when I got into high school, some of the Hawaii best musicians are my classmates. I got a guy named Jeff Rasmussen, who's probably the one of the best of top five guitar players in Hawaii. And another guy named um, Analu Aina, who's another classmate. You, you guys all know the world famous uh, "Over the Rainbow" brother. Oh is, yeah, Don. His, uh, no, his name is. Kamaka Viva Ole, oh, the okay. big guy that sings like, "Over the Rainbow." There's yeah. Like, with the ukulele well he's his bass player is my classmate and if you look it up so oh, wow. i was i was uh, i was like surrounded by a uh, musical and all the everything after the sumo career all came just naturally and and it was kind of a natural thing for me too because uh, this is me i don't i didn't i didn't study how to act i just this is just how I am mm-hmm. uh, my friends knew me as a clown in high school you know I was always uh, Say they're playing sports or doing musical things, and and I always was I wasn't a I couldn't I wasn't a shy guy. I was like my dad. you give me an opportunity. Look stupid or look good, it doesn't matter. I don't I, I don't think about the outcome. I just think about the opportunity. Sure.
1: Uh, as a big fan of hip hop and a big fan of professional wrestling, my knowledge of Samoan culture unfortunately is rooted in all that. And I heard a rumor that you were related to members of the Booyah tribe. Is that true? buya
2: tribe, the, their youngest brother Gari, mm-hmm. I got him to join Sumo, and I made them my family. And um, if you go and look at their some of their um, early videos where they're talking, if and you they they say they they've said it many times. I I actually wanted that. Uh, I finances their first album. Wow, I didn't know they're that. In, well, they're in Japan, and they, and that's how we met up. Um, um, my friends at the clubs, the, the guys that had run the clubs and they came here in Osaka,
1: mm-hmm.
2: the Buya tribe, there were performers here in Osaka. they, had, they were dancing in clubs They there were dancers, there were no for dancers. they were known for dancing. they yeah. weren't known for rap yet. Um, and then they started doing the rap stuff in the here and actually they kind of blown up here in Tokyo more before they even got big outside of uh, Tokyo. Everybody knew well, by the time Buya left Japan, all the kids, all the hip-hop you see today, the guys that run the biggest shows here, which is huge, are guys that are OGs that actually was copy, the, the copycats of Buya. They had their hair dread, they had the rubber bands on, and they danced, and the hip-hop that you have today, the OGs, they all called from Buya. And they all and that's how I related to the hip-hop world, too, today, Steve. I talked to all the guys that, you know, when when Red got, when Godfather passed, they all called me, and, and, we, and they, had made, they, they made tributes here in Japan, too, to them. Bullier has a great following here in Japan, so yeah, so uh, that's where we're, that's that's where we were related. You know, I still talk to Gotti who lives in Vegas and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like my brothers. I treat them like my brothers, and we have, we have so much memories together here in Japan. The wrestling side is is I guess you like wrestling too. Rikishi yes. and uh, the, the uh, former great Kokina or mm-hmm. uh, Yokozuna. If you go at his very earliest career, I remember him calling me. One day, he was at the KO Plaza Hotel here in Tokyo, Shinjuku. He yeah. said, hey, it's, it's Soleil, I got to talk to you. I thought, what's up, brother? I got to talk to you. Uh, at the time, WWE was ready to sign him, and they had this gimmick of being a sumo guy. I thought, yeah, easy. What do what, what you need from me? Yeah, I just need some outfits. So his first outfits he wore on the ring was mine. Wow. Wow. I- I had no idea about any of that. Are, are you connected to the Anawai family, which he's from? Very connected. I performed at the, the, their grandfather's church when I was younger. because I, well, I toured um, as a, I think I was still like 15 or 16. I performed in San Diego, San Francisco and in LA. And their San Francisco church is actually the Anahuayis. And, um, and uh, Anawai, we're very close. I, I talked to the Keisha pretty much. In fact, I just got off a messenger with him. I'm trying to get everybody to send messages because I'm celebrating 40 years in Japan. So I'm getting some uh, shout outs from all my friends and families that I kind of relate to and people that inspired me or kept me in track of my career and stuff. So I've just been doing that all morning and stuff. So I'm getting off some conference calls and
1: stuff. So if you know those people, then that means you know Brother D from Dawn Raid
2: Entertainment in New Zealand. Exactly, exactly, Brother D, uh, Kapisi, Kapisi, all those guys I, I used to, and, and that's where we connect with all the fighters too. Hunt, uh, Sefo, yeah. all these guys I used to take out all the time. I took out when we were fighting gear and stuff. And I still connect with uh, with Hunt and Sefo too, the internet. And when I went to New Z- uh, Sydney, um, hug to, uh, what you call, Mark, Mark took care of me, drove me around. And yeah, so I'm connected with, you know, anything Polynesian that comes to Japan, I I want to get on it and try to hook up with the, with the Polynesians. Uh, we have a huge following of Hawaiian music, Hawaiian mm-hmm. dance, but the fighting is another, is another place. And we just had another Samoan kid who's half Samoan. He's, he's Otake, he's from Vegas, he's a basketball player. He just joined the professional league here, and so, you know, people they, we all connected. He's uh, connected, so we uh, Tribe, God. He calls me, hey, you gotta take in my nephew. Like first thing I do, I connect with him. In fact, I just got off the phone with him yesterday, and oh, Uncle, uh, uh, um, can I come over to the office? And yeah, come over. So you try to keep the the Polynesian connection, you know. So you're so a I I ambassador. That's what I'm learning right here. You're you're a connector. <laughs> I would love to be called that. All my friends tell me that because every time no one hangs out together until I come to Hawaii and everybody connects and we all go out and some, And some they're like, like, what the heck is going on? You guys don't see each other. Can I cuss on your... Is it okay to cuss? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I I always go, what the fuck's going on? You guys live on the same damn island and you guys don't see each other. Yeah, that's the cup. When you come home, everybody's so happy because you get everybody to come, come together and stuff. Same here. Same here too. I have my little... Japanese family here, when I when, when need help, just phone calls and people be flocking in to, to participate in all my events and stuff, you know. My office is, is, I only have like two, three people in my office, but we be, we have huge events that we work on, and people tell me, how big is your company? Me, my wife, my secretary. <laughs> and then we have a part-time kid who's, a am kind of groomed right now, he's only 21, and he's learning, learning how to, you know, work with people and stuff, and just teaching them basic... Uh, basic things about life, you know, and the way you work with people is, is is the way you have to relate them, good or bad, you just gotta get the message over what you need from them and what they need from you, you mm-hmm. they don't have to be the best person in the world, but when it comes to business, you have to learn that it's business, so, that guy can be an asshole, but he, he, would, he would have the perfect skills of what you need in your business, so, that's how it is. They just you, you, and I always tell them, well, you just place them in your ABC course if for for businesses A, but to private relationships C. So you don't really have to see them on a private basis. You can see them doing work because Otagay, which is it's 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 a given thing. He's he's getting your skills and you're getting his skills. So you know it's a, it's a plus plus. So never mind, never mind the attitude. You can that uh, attitude can be thrown out after business. It doesn't matter, you know. So it's stuff like that you have to learn because we live in a world where people are two-faced sometimes. Some people are just naturally nice. Some people are just actors, you know, you know trying, to make that, trying to make that dollar, man, You know, which is normal I, to me. So it's wonderful to see somebody like you
1: able to be themselves and able to bring everybody together and not be in competition with everybody. You're not trying to take anyone's work. You're trying to get everyone together. And if they put you into the work,
2: that's great. Exactly. And my thing is, I know my skills. I know what I'm good at, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not trying to take away anything because I don't, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm going to struggle to try to do something when I know somebody I know can do the shit way better than I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? i rather pay for that service than trying to bust my brain, you know totally totally maybe if i was 20 or 20 <laughs> late, uh, late 20s yeah maybe i would bust my ass but when, I'm, I'm turning 60 within within a year or so so brother you got to take your life man take it easy uh, stick to the skills that you're good at and um, take it at take it at a, a slow stride you know never mind you're not 30 you're not 40 anymore you oh. coming to that day and, and i enjoy life i'm just very grateful and very humbled with the life I had, you know, coming from a, a Samoan family that immigrated to uh, to Hawaii in the, in the mid-50s. My dad, I gave him so much credit. Bless him in heaven, him and my mom. You know, and, you know, even people like that, you just learn from just hard work. You know, my dad's, my best, my dad's best line is just shut up and work, you know, wait for the outcome. Right. You know, if you just do what you have to do, the outcome he's going to have, he's going to have it. Then, same thing when I came to Japan, he told me, to "Shut up and work, don't worry <laughs> about the work." <care.
1: laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, speaking of shutting up- which, is true. It, it, Speaking of shutting up and working though, how did you meet David Lee Roth? I couldn't figure out how that happened because out of nowhere, people who went to his YouTube channel started seeing him at a sumo match with you. You popped up in his Tokyo Story movie and it was like, how did he find Konoshiki?
2: Wow, I I see you in depth into uh, researching me, right? Yeah, it, it, well, I know you're a music guy, but
1: I didn't think of you as, hey, that's a Van Halen fan. I was just wondering how that happened.
2: i the funny thing is, uh, him himself is, is a huge Japanese lover. Mm-hmm. And he, and the place that he's uh, the, actually the department, apartments he was renting was a place where I used to go and help that company do volunteer work. We used to wait, cause it, um, Remember the big earthquake that happened like 11 years ago? Yes. And that's where I I developed a group of people that came out and uh, and went, and we cooked for like 25,000 people. And it's all friendship and stuff. So that was the base of where I used to go and gather people to uh, develop ways to uh, go out and cook for people. And we started a Coney Santa project. And he was in the lobby. And it wasn't me that approached him because I didn't notice him. He didn't have the long hair anymore. He cut his hair. And he didn't want to talk to me. And he stopped me and said, hey, Shiki." And he said it really like real Japanese. He has a great accent. And that's why you know he's an artist. He's a singer. Yeah. Even at the Japanese accent, he says it really clear as a Japanese accent. So I sat down. Hey, nice to meet you. Real, real open. And I sat down. And he knew the stable I was in. And from there, we became real, real close. He, he kept in touch with me. And I thought, let's take you to sumo. We took, to him, sumo, took him to the sumo stable. Went to a couple friends' dinners and stuff, but he's very, very, um, very intelligent man. Oh yeah, I mean, very, very intelligent. People don't know this guy. He can he talks a lot, and which is makes him a perfect iPod cat person. And he's so funny. He got so much energy, man. He was here. He was a dishi, means he was a he was a student, one of the best uh, swords. You know how they sharpen swords, those samurai swords. That's what he was doing here in Tokyo. (laughs) Uh, I've heard that he was sharpening
1: swords. He was learning Japanese. He was learning um, penmanship or, or calligraphy, and I think there was a fourth thing he was learning at the same time while making a movie and while still in Van Halen. I didn't understand how he was doing all that at
2: the same time. In fact, he was actually he was based here in Tokyo when he was doing that. He was here like maybe close to six months, I think. But he went, he flew back and he was telling me how, how the business is. All the merchandise and stuff, he does everything he told me. And then, and he says, you gotta, you gotta merchandise your market to where you go. When you go to Texas, you cannot market the way you're marketing in LA because the, the groove is different. The the movement is different. The right. looks are different. And like, he's, he's like, I was just listening to this guy tell, man, this guy knows what he's doing. And he said, well, we live in a technology world. I don't have to be there to do anything anymore. I can do it out of my computer now. So I, I was amazed with um, and I love his videos—the one he does on the train, on the train dancing and stuff like that. Yeah. And then his story about his whole family's are like doctors and stuff.
1: He's yeah. the only
2: one that came out musical, and he always went across the train train track to hang out with the blacks. That's the, that's where his groove and his, his like really a uh, soulful dancing comes from.
1: When you're hanging out with him, do you talk about music at all, or do you talk about everything except music?
2: It's it's more him asking me questions about sumo. Oh. He's, so, he's, he's so into the history of sumo and stuff. And then when we did the movie, he called me up. Hey, Koniski, I have this little TV, uh, movie thing that I want to do. You want to be, well, just let me know if I have time. And they do. But I need some guys that look kind of Yakuza. Can you get all these guys? So the guys you got interviewed is, is friends of mine. So I got them to be part of the video. But I didn't know, I just took them. I said, no problem, Let me just let me know where to go and get, let's do it. And then I went and done it. But I didn't know that was gonna be part of the tour. That was it. People was watching and people would call me, hey, I saw you at Tokyo Dome. I saw you at Osaka Dome They're telling me, I, I, I cannot believe you're part of Van Halen. I thought, what Van Halen? You're part of the movie. Oh, oh, that movie! I, I forgot all about it. But so I,
1: I speaking with some of the filmmakers, they told me there was no script for that. No
2: script. No script. <laughs> so, he, he just he he just told me, "I want you to say this. I want you to do this." Oh, got it. Let's do it. Wow! But uh, you know the script.
1: That's not the only acting you've done because we've seen you on television a lot or, or at least read about you being on television a lot. So it's this now huge career where I'd have to imagine that a lot of people don't even know you were a sumo wrestler because they've been hearing your music and they're like,
2: wait, he also was an athlete? Yeah, so well, started up at 18 um, from high school, the powerlifter and I played American football. And um, after joining sumo 16 years of career, um, the acting stuff just came naturally. I was very uh, lucky to have opportunity to off a, a Tokyo Drift movie, yeah. Which I, I totally forget because when you shoot a movie, they don't shoot the a movie until like a year later, yeah. And, and I was busy as hell myself after my sumo career. I was like only shooting commercials in Japan. In fact, that's how I got all my money. Is just freaking. I was doing basically all the huge corporate commercials. I did Santori, Sanyo, you name it. We did PlayStation. I mean, huge, huge uh, corporates. And I think I was one of the first so-called like athlete, celeb, Japanese guy that I actually uh, negotiated all my own contracts and I didn't go cheap. I would I would Yeah. I'm, this is what I work. And like, they're like looking at me, what the, what you like it or not, you got to take it. And you know, it's perfectly, perfect timing because Japan was staying in a bubble, right? That's why they were just throwing money away, man. I remember flying, they're flying me from Hiroshima to Narita, get me on a private jet, fly me to Saipan, go to Guam and fly me back on a, you know, just to shoot commercials. Thought, man, this guy's spending some some dollars on this huge plane and there's only seven of us on the plane, you know? And I was like just shooting commercials, like, from retiring in 1997, I, 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 I officially left the association ninety seventh of September, and already I was I was already uh, shooting commercial without them knowing me, commercial and I already started a company called KPA Inc. Klishki Power. So, I already was shooting commercial uh, five six years into my retirement. That's all I did, man. Thank God I. they made me richer than I was in sixteen years. I tried to kill myself in a solo career where. They live. You get paid a salary, man. It's crazy, you know. But, you know, I don't take anything back. I would do it the same way I did. But, you know, like my dad said, just do the work. And, yeah, just shut up for work. You did that career path 10 years before Bob Sapp could have. Yeah, you then Bob Sapp. Everything else that came in is all like, you know, all this pride and um, the K-1 thing that actually they're the one that helped UFC to get where they had to there. Originally in Japan, you know. All you see now, the body too, and all this stuff was huge in Japan way before UFC came. Right. And some of the first fighters, the first UFC, there's an extra ex sumo guy inside them, Taylor Taylor Wiley, the guy that got kicked in the face and his teeth. Yeah. That's the ex sumo guy. And then then you have like guys like uh, my my schoolmate Anthony Noe, who's a legend. Egan and Anthony Noe from Hawaii, and he's a legend here in Japan too. People and we. We, we stay at see touches stuff, so. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, my, my a... last question, because you've been very
1: generous with your time, is what's coming up next? What should we be looking out for besides the celebration of your 40 years in Japan? Is there another single or an album
2: coming soon? What can you tell me? Uh, we, we just dropped a cover album on March 9th to celebrate 40 years in Japan. And I'm looking forward to, uh, the, really, the thing that I really want to do is actually uh, uh, actually produce shows, you know, bring some great shows, bring some great artists together to uh, collaborate with artists here, I think, that make a good match. Actually, that's, I want to be on the backside of things more than, I always told my wife this, I always told everybody, but shit, every time I try to do something, I create something, there's no bigger name than Koniski. So, you know, I'm forced to put myself on stage, which, to be honest with you, I don't even want to be on stage. I want to be a backup singer more than anything else. But, you know, I love what I do. And if if it's needed, you know, it's simple shit. Well, why try to dig a hole when you already have the, you, you already know the answer. You And then, and it's, everything is about advertising. And, you know, I'm just humbled that everybody knows Polishki, But at the end of the day, that's how I, I'm trying to get away from being in the front of the stage. I try to want to go more. In the backside and try to create events. I've been creating all these events myself for the past years already, huge events, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, at the end of the day, I still have to be the closer because I'm a bigger name, right? You know, I hate to say that, but it's. I have to be honest because even if I bring a big artist from Hawaii, the biggest artist name to from Hawaii and play on the stage, if you compare how they know me here in Japan and know that artist here in in Japan, it's 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 day and night. It, Korniški has been on TV for the past twenty-something years. I'm still on TV. We're doing this. I've been doing this children's show for twenty years called Nihongo Da Sobo, and it's one of the most famous kids shows, like a Sesame Street show. And I've been doing it for twenty years. You know, I come with a character called Konichang. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to be more like a a producer and and putting great shows together, uh, help some of the artists here, young artists to cre- help them create. Ways to do venues, you know, more venues for them, and you know because I know it's a hardship after this pandemic. Uh, I lost a, a few friends, sure. You know, and they're they're just artists. They're just musicians, period. They don't know how to do anything else but being a musician, which is normal. That's that's their bread and butter. So if you take that away, it's like taking away the spoon from their hand, you know. And some of them actually took their lives with because of that. And I and, and I believe this is this happened all over the world, not only in Japan, because. Yes. Some artists is just artists, you know, and you can't take that away. They don't know how to do anything else. They don't. They don't know how to go and try to work for Uber or drive Uber or they cannot do that. They've been doing singing or playing guitar or drummer for for their whole life. That hundred fifty bucks or two hundred dollar gig money they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday is what they leave off, you know. So, I hope I can find a way where I create help all the young, upcoming artists and artists that I, I know where it's a normal thing for them to play music every weekend you know try to connect people and, and try to grow um, having people to listen to more li- live music. I think live music has to come back you know and you know and that's one thing' good about live, live music is you get to relate to people you know and that's what I love about stage. I sit there I talk, I joke you know and I, I get emotional sometimes because I'm very grateful with the opportunity to have. it. you gotta feel what you have, And you know, musicians that do that every night, every weekend, I know they're all emotional because God has given us a talent that we we live off, you know. And so if I can actually um, keep a platform open and help help push this platform where everybody can enjoy upcoming artists or artists that are already here, here in Japan and then. You know, maybe out of the year, two or three times a year, try to put a good event together where I can bring artists from Hawaii and collab- collaborate with artists because people love Hawaii here. You know, if I can find a way to collaborate, stuff like that would be beautiful. And I'm actually coming out with my book finally mm-hmm. in October, which is something I'm looking forward to, and really talk about the life behind the scenes. People know about me because you can find it on Wikipedia, but they don't know what goes to the man's mind right? trying to overcome stuff, you know? And, you know, a lot of this stuff, actually, basically, I'm trying to... And the funny thing about the whole book is, like, what the hell did this 18-year-old kid think of when he left Hawaii? Because his parents was against him. He had no idea what Sumo was, had no information on what Japan was as a country, and he just went. So I'm trying to... The question was, what the hell did you think when you were 18? What made you do this? And at the end of the day, is how did this poor cultures actually create this monster, Konishiki, because it's a Samoan kid born and raised in Hawaii, which is American culture. Mm-hmm. When I walk out of the door and go on the street, go to school, it's American. But when I came home, it's all Samoan culture. Right. We weren't allowed to speak English in the house because my mom couldn't speak English. So culturally in the house, we, we lived our life, real Samoan culture, which is very seniority. You got to listen to all the brothers and then the funny thing, when I came to Japan, I came to Japan as a sumo wrestler, which is a culture of sumo in Japan itself. It's two, two different cultures. So yeah. like, it's four cultures that I try to see where I can relate four cultures and similarities of a Samoan culture and sumo culture where it helped me get to where I had today. So it's very interesting the way I looked at the book. And it's I'm not trying to write like, a, what you call like a diary kind of thing. It's more like a story of this kid who, had to grow up in four different cultures and found out like the shit that I was getting beat up for in the house when I was younger is the same thing that I was getting fucking hit in, in sumo because everything is seniority. So I was talking back to my brother, my brother punched me in the face and I cry and then I go to my run to my dad and he punched him I said, why did you talk back to your brother? Same thing with sumo. I go, this guy hit me. You know? Well, you cannot talk back to a senior guy even though he's younger than you. If a guy joined before you, he's, he has seniority. You know, little stuff like that that people don't real, to realize, but you can relate to it, and that's why my attitude about, bro, just don't try to force anything. If you know somebody that can do things for you better than you, let them do it. You know, <laughs> and if you, and brother, I'm not saying anything new. If you go back to history and listen to all these guys that created Apple and Microsoft. You know, they they were just a guy who created everybody else. He put everybody together, and Apple was created. Yeah. You know,
1: that's what he did. Right. He, yeah. you, you find the smartest people, you get them together and somebody kind of leads them. But you also said it before and you were saying, you know, yeah, you listen and
2: do the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the attitude of being a leader is very important. You can bring them together, but how do you get them to connect? So the leader is very important that he has to show them that he has confidence in them. Everything he's doing is 100%. He's going to back them up. And that's what created Apple to me. And, and I look at that all the time. I said the same thing. Brother, just just do what you're good at. Don't try to fucking do more than you can handle, you know? Because once you get the pieces together, and I see some of the best creations we see at two, in the world today, it's, it's different minds coming together and creating things today. And and that's how the world is so like the genre in music too. Is there's no genre anymore. You know, everything's mixed up. People are collaborating, mm-hmm. featuring on each other's music, which is a great thing. You know, music should be uh, collaborating, you know? Well said. Well, I look forward to that book. I look forward to reading it. Hopefully there's an English version of it. If not... No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in every language. I'm going to awesome. work on being on every language. And uh, we might be having a sumo tour in November, or if not next year. I uh, just wanna, don't want to really push it, but I've been requested to do a lot of Sumo tours because I did a sumo tour right before the pandemic. We did Seattle, Los Angeles, and New York. Great success, sold out, and um, they still the promoters in the U.S. wants us to do something, but uh, let's see, we see what we do. It might be a perfect timing because my book would be out to do a sumo tour, sumo tour where well, I can do some book up, get my book out there and people read it because it can relate to everybody, brother. Thank you for your time. Hope
1: to see you in New York. Thank you for your time and continued success. As wish to you, thanks, man. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for having me, brother. Thanks. Take care. Yeah, thank you, bro.